fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And today we are here talking about what I kind of wanted to talk about when Dalton asked the icebreaker a couple episodes ago, engine building games. So kind of doing the research, I realized that this is a very broad category, (laughs) (laughs) but I I am excited to talk about that. But before we dive into that, let's talk about what we're drinking tonight. So what's on your flight, Dalton? On my flight tonight, I'm drinking. Um, so if you listened to the the whiskey episode, episode number ten, a couple ago, yeah, I did. Oh, you did. Very nice. Yeah, Thank cool. you. I, I really appreciate that. A man. couple times. It I, means a lot. I have to listen to it multiple times while editing. When you, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and that means a lot to me. <laughs> but I, uh, the the non peated scotch that I showed you um, from Akintoshin, the American oak. That's what I'm drinking tonight. Um, Akintoshin is the one that I was mad that I brought on because I can't ever spell it when I was trying to make this show notes. (laughs) (laughs) It starts with an A-U and and it gets complicated after that. Um, But Akintoshin is in, um, it's in the lowlands of Scotland and it's it's the distillery that I went to when I visited Scotland. Um, And it was the only one that I could do that that week, unfortunately. But they are, so first of all, lowland scotch. um, And there's only, I think, a couple that actually classifies, and like geographically, that means like the southern end of Scotland. Got it, okay. Um, and where we talked about like Isla scotches, the really peaty ones come from the Isle of Isla. Um, because of the salt. Yeah, 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 that's right. And then, yeah, that's the first thing you notice is salt. Yes. No. The <laughs> first thing you notice is the bog in your mouth. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, but the <laughs> Akintoshin doesn't use any peat, like I said. Um, and this American oak is their most, uh, I guess, popular or widely distributed one. Um, and it most, it, it uses old bourbon barrels, which a lot of scotches do, but this one is just like very forward in that. Um, so it tastes like halfway between a scotch and a bourbon which is which is really nice it has um like some floral notes just from like compared to bourbon just from like barley and then this one on the bottom it lists like some citrus notes which i have like a bit of trouble finding but i guess like when someone says it, it's like yeah okay i guess i could find that there. it may be at the bottom yeah <laughs> you have to stir it up or something <laughs> yeah mix it up a little bit yeah yeah uh, but this one i, I like because it's very approachable it's uh, akintosh and triple distills instead of the standard double distilling and so it's a little bit smoother uh, most scotches only distill twice and akintosh for whatever reason does it Got three it. times and so it's, it's really smooth it leaves like a nice taste in in the mouth um it has like a really nice aftertaste and so this is one that i favor for um like if we're like sitting out my girlfriend and i are sitting out on the deck drinking this is one that i like for that because it has that really nice lasting aftertaste um that's not like the super boggy peat aftertaste. Um, and it's not like a bunch of smoke like you sometimes get with like bourbons or like the spiciness from rye. It's just very like mellow and smooth and very nice to drink. I remember really liking that one. Yeah. Liking that one a lot more than the peated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was called. It was Lafroig. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Lafroig, yeah. That one hurt. A yeah, it bit. does. But that's when one... you put your nose in and you're like, oh, yeah. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That, that should not be consumed, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what this is. This one's the nice one. Yeah. The, yeah. I do really like that one. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm i drinking. So, again, I, I thought I was going to be, you know, <laughs> go out and get something that wasn't, you know, <laughs> an IPA. And I actually did not get an IPA, but I thought I was not getting an ale. But then I did get an ale. But it's a Scottish-style ale, which is kind of funny because, yeah, you know. we're both drinking from we're, Scotland today. Yeah, we're both drinking from Scotland. So, I've, I've got Robert de Bruce from Three Floyds. Which we had talked about Three Floyds. I drank Space Station Middle Finger a couple episodes ago. And Three Floyds has like the really awesome artwork on the bottle. Yeah. But Robert DeBruce, I remember we, we split a six-pack in college or something. Yeah. It was the first time that I ever had it with mm-hmm. you. Or ever had it was mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. And so it's 
it is an ale, but it's not a bitter ale. Um, it, it's significantly closer to a stout or like a porter. Yeah. So like the heavier end of the spectrum. So this one's around 24 IBUs, which like with yeah. the, you know, the IPAs that I'm usually drinking are 70 to 80, which is the bitterness unit. Right. And so there, there's no bitterness. It's very smooth. It's very heavy. Like I sit down, I drink this and I feel like I weigh about 10 pounds more. Like I just like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Just like sink into my chair a little bit like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> but like this one is really nice. It has like a really nice malty like caramel flavor. Yeah. Uh, like I'm explaining this to you like you haven't had it, but <laughs> that's that's okay. Yeah. You want people um, to hear it like they haven't had it. But you know it's it's different than my normal beers because you can't see through it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's but it's not quite as like dark like you were saying. It's on the stout end, but it's not a stout. It's not quite there. It's not quite there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I will grab a stout at some point to bring onto the. The podcast because I do like stouts every once in a while. Okay, it's not like if I'm gonna buy a beer, it's not gonna be a stout. Yeah, but like a pick six or something, I would go something more towards the heavier end of the spectrum. Yeah, or like I think the best way that I've seen it described is like a uh, a diagram on online where it's it's a beer glass and at the bottom are the porters and the stouts like okay. they're heavier. Oh yeah, and then as you rise up, you get to the, like the pilsner at the top. Gotcha. So like it's not. It, it it just like kind of symbolizes that you know it's the darker blacker versus like the see through mm-hmm. Coors Light at the top, so it, you know it, yeah. it, it goes is from coffee to champagne. Kind yeah, of thing. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and Robert De Bruce is a really smooth beer. It's just it's yeah. very easy to drink. It's uh, so. Do you know the alcohol content? <clears throat> yeah, hold on. Uh, it's about six and a half percent, so it's not too bad. Okay. Um, like which is right around what ales typically are. Okay. Or like an IPA would be. Yeah, like your your sessions are going to be a little bit lower, but like a standard IPA is going to be like six to seven percent range. Yeah. So yeah, so it's I'm, no forty percent. But yeah, you know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be slurring at the end of this episode too mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. I did only have three or four of these right before I came up. So, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> where are we? What are we doing? <laughs> You're good. So, uh, what what let's transition to the on what's on your table section. So, what what have you been playing? What what's been going on in the board game realm of Dalton recently? Yeah, so I've had actually not a whole lot of luck. I I played a lot of games over the last couple of weeks, but I haven't played a whole lot of new ones except for today. Um, when we were hanging out earlier today, uh, played Race for the Galaxy. Um, for the first time. Oh, I played that too. Yeah, you play. I played yeah. it with you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I know. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a game that you've played a bunch of. But just to give like a like a quick overview, it's a it's kind of thematic for today. It's a pretty simple engine builder. Yeah, it's it's like the one one of the games that is just purely a engine builder. Like there's yeah. not much else to it, which is like good. Like that's what it needs to be. Like, yeah, I think some of the expansions add like other elements where it like adds a board and stuff but it's like i don't want that like, like <laughs> it, it's like king domino like i don't necessarily want it to be more complex like it's yeah. a pure engine builder dominion's a pure deck builder right like you know right. there th- it picks yeah, dominion a thing. with a board wouldn't work yeah so, and it yeah. picks the thing and it does it really well i think yeah, but, yeah yeah i really i really enjoyed it. i mean like i said it was my first time playing it my first real exposure to it i love any space themed game right so it <laughs> yeah, checks exactly, that yeah. box um the cards have like great art they had great like theming on them and then I really, I really like. So the game has a mechanic where basically cards are the only resource, and yeah. I, I really appreciated that. So it would do things like anytime you needed to play a card, the car, the cost to play a card would be to discard cards from your hand. And then anytime you needed to like put a resource on a card, you would take a, a card from the stack and just put it face down under a card, and like that was the resource on the card or whatever. And I thought that was a really good way to just keep the game like very intentionally like very simple because they could have added like money to the game but at the end of the day that wouldn't have made it necessarily a better game than it was and i also like the kind of you have to go back and it's like 
Ooh, okay. So this costs me five cards, five resources to play. Yeah. But I don't want to discard this resource or this card yeah. because I want to play it later. I want to play it later, yeah. And so there, there's some interesting choices there, For too, sure. which you wouldn't get with the money pool. Yeah, like of the sharing of the resource. Yeah, And then it allowed them to... Because then you're like, well, if I just need cards for everything, like, why don't I just spend time drawing cards? And it's like, yeah, that's absolutely what you do. But the game gives you a bunch of different ways to do that, right? So you're spending exactly, the whole game yeah. trying to figure out how am I going to draw cards over the course of this game. And so, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. Yeah. So we, I think I told you that we, we would play at work and we were able to get about two games in in an hour. Like kind of once you know what you're doing. Uh, we, yeah. we I've never played that game more than two players. And so... Okay. Just to kind of give a little bit of background, the game is played out. Basically, you choose actions, and there's like five rounds that you play through for, or five phases that you play through every round. And like the first one is like you draw cards from the deck, the next one is you develop technology, the next, and like playing cards and stuff like that. And then like trading, and then re, or like filling up your planets with resources. So th those are kind of like the phases of the game. And you only get to take that action if someone at the table has played that action card and yeah. so like if no one chooses the develop action no one gets to develop that turn so mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a mind game going back and forth it's like ooh, i really need to settle on this world that i have in my hand and i want to develop but i also need cards to settle on the world yeah. so i really hope that he or like my opponent plays develop so that i also get to i mean it's just yeah yeah and i love that mechanic i don't know what you would call that but like twilight imperium has that with like the strategy cards yeah. puerto rico has that um citadels in a way has that but like the the idea that i am um drafting or choosing or playing um an action um a, a major part of the game and not everybody gets to do that or everybody else now gets to do it but they do like a diminished version of like what i'm getting to do and and just that mechanic then that there's like major sections which of, of an engine builder is really important right where there's like major sections of the game that are now missing i can only i can either produce or i can consume but i can't do both and, and you have to like kind of make some of those decisions so i thought it was a really and a, and a lot of engine builders have to like take a long time because it takes a long time to build an engine and for the game to ramp up and everything um so the fact that that game like fits well within 30 minutes i thought was a pretty cool achievement uh what's been on your table we've been kind of walking through our five by five we've been playing less games um my my work has me going back into the office now and so like mm -hmm. our our quarantine games which is like the instagram kind of series that we were doing we we're playing a game a day and posting a picture every day has kind of ended and so we're we're playing less games, which is, you know, a little sad. But it's also like you know I'm driving two hours more a day now. Yeah. So <laughs> so that that you know that time that we were playing games, uh, is now spent driving. But yep. we did play. We're so we're working our way through the five by five more so than just playing a lot of different games. And so we've been playing a lot of Scythe recently, and we've started playing with like the Wind Gambit expansion, which is the airships. Yeah. And those are really cool. Like a lot of people really shit on the airship expansion, which is okay. it's not a great expansion, but it's I I've played so much Scythe in my life that it's almost gotten down to the point where I can almost plan out the entire game. Oh yeah. Um, like right if like, I'm, I'm gonna playing, go get I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna get that star, and then I'm gonna take this area, and then yeah. Yeah, because like in Scythe, you're dealt a faction and then you're dealt a action board, uh -huh. and all of the actions are the same. They're just um, they're just paired differently on the different boards. So like if I'm playing Crimea, it's like I know I'm gonna do I'm gonna get my six stars this way. This is probably gonna be the most efficient way to do that. Right. Um, there's a little bit of player interaction when it comes into like attacking and everything, and so that may change your plans. But for the most part, like I feel like seventy percent of that game. It, maybe even 80% of that game can kind of be like set turn one. Uh -huh. That was kind of 
get making me a little bit frustrated with the game just because I was like, it's it's I've played it a lot, but and I always tend to pick the same faction, so maybe that's my problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> just, why you get the same game. I There's just, like seven factions available. Yeah, I, I was like, I realized I really don't like building like the, okay. the buildings, but then I realized that the factions I like to play don't have ready access to wood. So I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe that's why I don't like building. But yeah. but so the airships add a unique piece that you start with on the board. So it's this giant airship. It looks dope. If you if you haven't yeah. seen them, go to Instagram because we posted a couple of pictures of them. But the uh, the airship. Um, has like a passive and a I don't even remember what they call it like an aggressive ability and a passive ability Mm -hmm. and those are randomized and you get one per game so every game the airships do something different which I think is a pretty cool mechanic yeah so like the last one that we played it the airships were able to carry two workers and every time you moved a worker onto a farm you got to draw a new secret objective okay like you couldn't complete it but it also it just like allowed you to like cycle through and then it was like the combat was if you if a combat takes place on your hex and the airship is not considered part of the hex it's considered above the hex okay so if a combat takes place on your hex you get one money which is a victory point in scythe plus one per meeple your airship is carrying okay or something like that yeah i think that yeah. was a combination we played a couple of times so i may have gotten <laughs> but it, i mean it's, it's pretty cool how like how it has changed the game and like i played albion which is the green faction which is typically pretty defensive mm-hmm. um you kind of want to like huddle but yeah the airship they get like some bonus points for owning basically their own territory right yeah, yeah. and so the airship also changes how much it can move every game oh yeah yeah um and so which is actually <laughs> sometimes a problem for Albion. They kind of ramp up and they can get fast, but in the early game, it's it, they're very slow. Yeah. And so when I played them, when I played Albion, I had the airships could move three, uh, wow. three spaces, which is huge. Like that, yeah, that's I mean, enormous that's, inside. that's enormous. Yeah. And Albion doesn't typically have access to speed, so you can't like go really fast, but it's just really fun because I could like carry my workers and then Albion can like transport to the workers. So I was just like all over the map. It was like yeah. insane. So it's like completely changed the way I've played Scythe. But I brought I brought this up because Smalls and I, or my wife and I, um, have, yes, I call my wife Smalls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, also in that game are eight different ways that you can play the game. Mm. So it's like different victory conditions or different end conditions of the game. Yeah. And so like one of them is like the game's anything, over. I think that's the thing that the game probably needed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so like one of them is like the game's over in 10 or in 20 turns. Like in 20 turns, the game's over. Wow, I wonder how that compares. Like, did that? Did you play that? Did that feel? No, fast? we haven't played it yet. Yeah. But we, I don't know how many like turns you typically get in scythe. I think it's more than twenty. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it should be. Yeah. And so what we're gonna do is because there are eight scenarios, and there are seven base factions, and without spoiling too much, there are more factions in the Rise of Fenris campaign which we have played through. Mm-hmm. What we are gonna do is we're gonna set up like a tournament, uh, oh. <laughs> which. If you want to be a part of this, you definitely can be, but you can only use each faction once, and we're going to play them one through eight. And so, and the winner gets to, or the loser gets to pick the next faction for the next scenario. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to total up the wins. Oh, across like the eight games kind of thing? That's so so cool. That'd be a ton of fun. Yeah, Yeah, because, yeah, because it's kind of like Fenris, right? It gives you like that campaign, but it's also going to be like, oh, like, I think Saxony is going to be really good for seven yeah like scenario seven or whatever i have no idea but 
you don't want to use Saxony in three because then you can't use him in seven. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you get or like Dalton gets Saxony in seven, which benefits him. I I don't know. Yeah. It'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, for sure. For so, sure. Oh, one more thing before we before we jump into icebreakers, I want to give a shout out to John, which is one yeah. who is our one of our friends. He's been really helping us with the website. So fantasyandsomeflights.com. He's a <laughs> he's like actually good at programming yeah he knows how computers work yeah and i <laughs> and i have been told that i don't so <laughs> but i so so he, he's been super helpful and super gracious um letting us or giving of his time yeah he's yeah. been super giving of his time he's helping us like understand how databases work and stuff like that and so <laughs> so that's that i mean that's really exciting we're super happy with that, for that and so the thing that i promised you guys like in episode one <laughs> it's actually like starting to happen. So we have some score or we have seven wonders dual the score calculator out mm-hmm. on online. And now that we have a lot of those kind of like the, the logic written for that, I'm hoping to kind of start getting some more of those. So yeah. if you want to, you can go out online right now and to fantasy under data collection and check out the seven wonders dual uh, interactive scorecard, yeah. which will also um, kind of save the data and so we can start kind of digging into some data some more because that's what we really like to do is we like to see the data yeah and like dive yeah, how, into how do the score distributions work out like what what cards are powerful and, and that sort of thing and so just using basically the scorecard is just the normal scorecard um, that you would use if you played a game of seven wonders duel and you were you were going to just write it out um, you can use this instead and it'll calculate the final scores for you and everything and then that allows us to aggregate that data and take a look at it which is which will be pretty fun yeah, and in in future games, we're hoping that you'll have access to that data and see how you're doing and how you're doing against other players and that's right, yeah, just stuff like that. So like I, that. you know, I'm I'm really excited to have that up and running. Yeah, and does to you know, Dalton's yeah. been throwing up the show notes, which are awesome, but actually have the website for something else. Yeah, so. yeah, more than just the uh, bl- a blog spot, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. He he did a really nice job. So, yeah, um, he showed me more it. things. I learned more in like our couple hours of conversation with him than i did in my like 25 hours of just like fumbling around with javascript yeah. <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing yeah he yeah was like what were you trying to do here i was like i don't know man I don't know. <laughs> yeah and and john came into it like totally blind like he had never used we use wix to host the website and he even never used it before but he's smart enough and has used enough programming languages to where it was natural for him um whereas for us it was like totally new and uh we were I say we, you were pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, you were great. Yeah. I was, no, I was terrible. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I was, I was worse than bad. I was useless. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's hop into icebreakers. Let's do it. So last week, our icebreaker was submitted by Stephanie. Um, and she, she sent us the icebreaker through email. So again, if you want to submit us icebreakers, you can send them to fantasy on some flights at gmail.com. Just tag like book icebreaker, board game icebreaker. Um, and then I forward those to my wife now. And so she's, filtering those for us that's right she's helping us this week yeah but stephanie asked what is the most relatable villain and so i i posted that on our social media and got a couple of responses so meeples in love and je pepe which i think is it's, it's je, a french account je pepe. yeah yeah uh, <laughs> it's french it's french <laughs> <laughs> so they both said the joker which which i think Solid. is a great answer uh, the gaming manual said Kylo, Kylo Ren, mm. which is like a really good answer. Like Kylo Ren, I feel is very relatable. Yeah, um, yeah, he's definitely built to be. Plus, Adam Driver just killed Man, it. Gotta love Adam Driver. Yeah. Uh, the chill check said Moriarty. Um, that's an interesting one. That is an interesting one. I and, and maybe there's more in the book. I've never read the the like Sherlock Holmes books. I don't know if you have. 
I think I did in like ninth grade English class. Oh, really? At one That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've just watched like the show Sherlock, and he's like his. I feel like his background and all that isn't explained enough to like feel really relatable, you know? Yeah. So Seth.m.kiefer said Magneto. I I was like, that's kind of an interesting one. So I asked him why. And he said, basically because he was played by Sir Ian McKellen. So <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a little bit of a, oh, relatable. Maybe. Oh, Gandalf. I can yeah. trust him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then my favorite one was from We've Got Game. And they say, quote, honestly, Thanos. There's too many people. <laughs> so, Amen. I thought I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so let's dive into the icebreaker for this week. And this week, we're not drawing at random. We did have my wife look at them, and she sent me the icebreaker that she thought would be very topical. Topical for today's. And if not, then she just probably picked her favorite one or something. Yeah. So this icebreaker question is from Andre, um, which I believe you know. Yeah, yeah, Andre's a friend of mine. Yeah, cool. So Andre asks, what game has the single best example of a good board design you've ever seen and why? Wow. It could be reviewed as mechanically or aesthetically best. Excellent question. Yeah, that's Andre. a really good question. Holy cow, that is that is awesome. Okay. Color or study in emerald. Yeah. It's not a study in emerald. Shut up. <laughs> it just God, that board just hooks hurts to look at. Just ugh. Man. So I, I have an answer. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so my answer is a game I have not played, but it's a game I have. It's Zolkin. Zolkin. So, Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. So what, Yeah, what, it has to be that one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so Zolkin is a worker placement game. Based that's the in, one, just for my benefit, that's the one that starts with like a TZ, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. so if you're going to go look it up, type in TZ. No, 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 I think game, it's like T apostrophe Z-O-L-K-I-N. Yeah, okay. So but, oh, it's in the show notes. Yeah, it's in the show notes, and uh, <laughs> I think Board Game Geek allows you to just type in T without the apostrophe and see it. Okay. But Zulkin is a it's a worker placement game set in the Mayan universe, not in the Mayan universe, <laughs> the, <laughs> that fake universe that someone created. <laughs> yeah, they have like pyramids and a calendar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. It's okay. The Ooh, world's already uh, over in that universe. Ooh, that's probably not good. But so Zulkin is a worker placement game, and it's the board is based on gears. So there's a center gear, and I think five gears that are interlocked with that center gear and every round um you place your worker on the lowest available spot on one of the five minor gears yeah and those are different sizes and you can either place your workers or you can pick up your workers mm -hmm. and every round after you've, everyone's placed you rotate the big gear which rotates all of your workers one it's, spot it's honestly amazing it, it's amazing it, it look it blows my mind yeah all these interlocking gears and yeah and the longer you leave your workers on the gear, the better the action takes. So if you choose to pick up all your workers, you get the benefit of the space that your worker is currently on. Mm -hmm. And so the longer you wait, the the better the action space is, but then you don't, your worker's tied up. Mm -hmm. um, it, it looks so good. It's That's like, amazing, yeah. And like the board presence just looks amazing. People paint them all the time, which looks really cool. Mm. And then there are some 3D sculptures because... Of all the different temples, yeah, that that you can turn and it like makes it a three D board, which looks really cool. That is so cool. Yeah, but Zulkin is my is mine. It just I haven't even played it, so I feel kind of bad. Hopefully, I'll have played it by the time this airs. Yeah, um, because it, it's on the shelf of shame. I want I want to get that one off. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but, but the concept is just amazing. Yeah, it, it's I don't know. I I don't know that I'm gonna have a recommend or a, an answer to that question that says good of an answer is that one because it is so like. That, that one's like 
someone took this like crazy concept of like, what if we had like gears and turning things on the board? And then they just kind of built the game around it. Right. But the, the concept of the game was to have this really wacky board. Um, that is to answer your question, both like both aesthetically and mechanically um, important. It looked beautiful. Yeah. It looks beautiful. Yeah. I'm really excited to try that one. I'm just like, I'm really enjoying thinking about this question. Like I almost yeah, don't want to, I almost don't want to stop. I think we actually, I feel bad cause we just talked about scythe, but I would go with scythe. I love the scythe board. Yeah. I, I like step back and if you look at it without the grid, it's so cool. It's gorgeous. So it, it, it first of all, it works like as a, as a country, right? Like, I mean, you look at it and you're like, okay, I, I could see how there would be like a mountain range here. I could see how there would be like rivers here and stuff. So like that works. Um, but second, each hex has individual artwork. So if you like compare across villages or you compare across like farmlands or compare across mountains, each one is very slightly different. There's like a Loch Ness monster in like one of the lakes and stuff, you know, there's like little, just, just a little, uh, Easter eggs, I guess, like hidden in the board. And then like, obviously it, it's, it's a game that, I mean, it's top 10, right? It, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal game in its own right, but also has this really cool setting with like lore and like background and it has a backstory. The story like, is really cool. The story is really cool in the base game, like not even in the expansions, yeah. like, which do make it better. But even in the base game, it has this really cool lore of like what's going and the board like really plays that out. Um, and then I think it's fair to expand like the because because of the way that site is set up. I think it's fair to expand. Uh, the question do is started to include like what the player mats look like and what the and you know so you look at the the player mats and they go across or I guess not yeah is um is it the player the whatever one is not the country but like the player mat that's associated with yeah it, you yeah know? the player yeah, yeah, yeah then is the player mat and and so you look across it and it's this sort of panorama of 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 stuff happening in a society um, but the artwork lines up with what is happening for that action right so you like look at it and you're like oh it makes sense that like this would be the produce action because you like see people like in a field like or something like that right and yeah and the each board is named something different yeah so like the the agricultural board looks more agricultural than the mm, like mm-hmm. uh like the industrial industrial the, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but they all still like have mechs in them or something yeah. like the mech action but it like thematically makes sense with what they're doing right and it, again it's a continuous panorama it's a continuous thought and picture it's so beautiful it's so beautiful and then the board like to get to the mechanics part of the question is extremely balanced which it's like man that must have been so hard to play test through right because each civilization or, or nation uh, starts with only th- access to only three of the five main like production types, right? Of the four main resources yeah. and then villages to make extra workers. So they had to like balance that. And then they had to balance like where the rivers were and what were on the other side of the rivers, depending on like what the nation's river walks were, right? So there's all this balancing going on. Um, I think, the, and then that's, that's why that game supports having a big board, right? Yeah. Because people oh, yeah. will actually buy it because the board itself is that good. It, yeah. It's a lot of fun to play on that. that yeah. I got the, the extension for Christmas and we've been playing on that. Yeah. There is an expansion that is a randomized board, which I don't think I would ever buy. Like, mm. I, I like the chess-like setting that Scythe has, where yeah. it's like it's balanced, right? Yeah. And if you randomize, yeah, the starting that, positions are balanced. Yeah. Starting and like the randomized board randomizes mine location. It randomizes. Oh, yeah, that would be so. Rough. Like you can have a mine right next to your starting home base, which like really benefits saxony and it's just like yeah. I, I don't know that's like true. i, I true. think and we love these, modular boards normally they can work yeah. in a lot of games oh yeah like i i prefer gaia project over terra mystica right a lot i've never played terra mystica but i assume <laughs> i assume I would prefer because i told you that you prefer <laughs> yeah gaia project exactly over terra mystica. And, and one of those reasons is because of the modular board mm-hmm. and then the other point that i wanted to make is all the the little like easter eggs like calvin and hobbs is on the board 
on mm. the scythe board and then i think santa's on there or something like that yeah. like there's a bunch and they're like really tiny and you like have to like comb through it to look for it yeah but they're so cool oh that's a great answer yeah, yeah. I, I really love like scythe. That scythe, scythe knocks it out of the park for Ooh, sure yeah i want to play scythe again for sure uh. <laughs> <laughs> even though we just talked about it yeah great question andre thank you yeah absolutely Moving into like our face-off Friday. So every Friday we have a little face-off Friday that we do on our social media. And this last one we tied it into the engine building. We picked two like fairly well-known engine building games. And the Mm -hmm. way I phrased the question was not like what's your favorite engine building game. It's where do you think humanity will expand to first? And it was underwater cities versus terraforming Mars. Yeah, I loved that. That's such a good question. So what's your answer? Oh, I would definitely say Mars. I, I think that right now, we, we've talked about how like we know more about the surface of the moon than the bottom of the ocean. Right? Yeah, the bottom of the ocean is scary, dude. Yeah, ocean is terrifying. Mars yeah. is at least a known terror. Yeah, you know? there's no water. There's no ocean there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay with Mars until we make an ocean on it, and then I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I would, I, would, I would think probably Mars. That would be my guess. Yeah, same, same for me. Yeah. I, I think we've just done a lot more development on the the space exploration exploration side than the the <laughs> let's start building domes underwater for sure and, for sure and, especially since we like have livable land it's hard to see how like <laughs> living underwater would be more beneficial yeah yeah exactly so for sure how did uh, it end up yeah it, uh social media agreed with us 67 percent of the people said mars and 33 percent said underwater okay. i do want to point out that that's not like two votes for mars like we have more people that vote on that it just like worked out to be like <laughs> two thirds and one third we didn't just have three people vote on it so it wasn't me you and my yeah my wife. So, <laughs> um but but okay. okay i don't actually have an instagram i'm just signed into the fantasy and some flights instagram <laughs> account so i can't vote on them. <laughs> i just vote like verbally with you yeah talk exactly about it. yeah uh so let's dive into engine building yeah, um so i'm really excited because i love trains right like <laughs> like i'm really excited to talk about you know all the types of locomotives and how they're built and train wow. games really i have a friend named josh who's gonna love this episode yeah exactly so engine building is is a type of game where it's kind of dictated where the way that i think of it is it's a game where you build up a system to generate more resources or more victory points or more money whereas like you start with very little and you end with a lot. Mm. And I think of that curve being exponential. Okay. So because typically what you're doing is you're building things or changing the board state so that you are able to get more than you were the turn before. Yeah. And engine building is kind of interesting. Like I, we were talking about this because I brought it up in the icebreaker a couple episodes ago. Engine building is, I mean, outside of like Race for the Galaxy and some of the other games, it's always like... And I think this is kind of true with all modern board gaming. It's a mesh of a bunch of different mechanics. For sure, yeah. And I think that engine building is just kind of so broad. And so many board games, other than like war games, are built off of this concept that you start with a little and you build to a lot. Because it's very satisfying, right? Yeah, for sure. It's cool to see, oh, cool, I'm building 10 times as much as I was three turns ago. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When I was like trying to define engine building i was having a lot of trouble and i think that's because it is um, wrapped into so many other larger games yeah we're talking about and so it was so hard to parse like what exactly is an engine building game but i I came up with two things the first is one is the one that you already mentioned if if there's a feeling of i'm starting with something small like gaining a few bit of resources or power or whatever i'm using that to buy more 
ability and then I'm using those to buy ability to get more power or resources or whatever, right? So that I'm 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 starting out with a small amount of ability to generate. Let's use money. I use that money to buy things that get me money. So then on the next turn I get more money. And then I keep doing that over and over again. Yeah, That's yeah, probably yeah. an engine builder. And then also when I was like kind of preparing for this, I was trying to find like a definition of an engine builder and I was struggling with that. And actually it helped me to define what an engine was first. Um and so I thought one definition that I found that was like generalized outside of just like what's an engine in a car or something. Um, but an engine <laughs> being like a collection of pieces that have individual roles or jobs um, that work together to complete a process or a goal for you. Right. And that helped me understand like, okay, that's what an engine builder could be. Cause a lot of games will have you, like, we've, we've talked about dominion a lot in the deck building episode, but a lot of deck builders have a lot of overlap with engine building. Like it can become more complicated, but can become interesting when the like inputs and outputs become more like uh, cloudy or complex, right? So then you run into games where the this card has an input and an output, right? So this card takes yellow resources and it turns them into like purple resources or whatever. And this other card needs purple resources, you know? And so then you're having to, and, and it generates money in victory points or something like that, which lets you buy more cards that make yellow resources and purple or whatever. And, and so that becomes this really complex engine that you're having to like kind of fine tune and you're having to, you're, you're having to kind of control the ramp of and, and, and so that it doesn't like stall out. You're getting like too many yellow resources and not enough of another one or something like that. Yeah, that that's a great point. And I love that. It's kind of hard in a lot of games to understand when your engine isn't working efficiently until you look back at it after the game and so it's like oh you know i I think about this in gaia project a lot when you know your your engine is you know you have mines that cost two money and one uh steel or yeah i forget what the resource white white piece the white square the white square (laughs) (laughs) to, to build and when you build that next round you get an income of one white square yeah and then you know you can upgrade that mine into a trading post which cost six money and six white squares and that gives you six money and three oh US. three white squares. Yeah, yeah, three yeah, white yeah, squares. yeah yeah i was like wow that's a, that's, that's a lot <laughs> that's really expensive uh and and three white squares and so you also start the game with a lot more money than white squares yes. by the way to make this work yeah and then like when you build the trading post instead of getting or you get some amount of money that yeah. you get and like it's really interesting to me to take a step back at the end of Gaia project and to see how many resources do I have left over? Because that's inefficiency. Like yeah. that means yeah. that I did not play the game perfectly. Yeah. Um, I may have played the game optimally for what I had already set up three turns ago. Right. But it wasn't perfect. Right. And I do the same thing with, um, we've been playing dominion online dot games or dominion dot games, whatever the website is for dominion. I just I usually type in like Dominion online and like it pops up as one of the first <laughs> Google searches because I can't even remember it. And now it's in like my uh, my my history, right? So it just pops up when I type in D O. It's like the website. That <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Up. Um, but at the end of the game, it will tell you the distribution of your deck. And I and I also love in regular Dominion just like looking at how your deck ended up, right? Like how much gold did I have? How much copper did I have? How That's many really terminal cool, yeah. actions did I have? Right. That like an yeah. action that does not generate you an action, so yep. it can only be played once. Understanding that, how many victory cards did I have? And just kind of like looking at it, and then in the online version it'll show you everybody right so it'll be like wow i had like six golds and everybody else had like three or four like that's maybe why i won yeah or looking and being like oh like people bought like this card i totally didn't understand the value of that card and like that's why they won so i got i got a question for you okay 
engine building is so broad, right? Like we talked about the deck building where yeah. you're building an engine. We talked about Gaia Project where you're you're removing structures that give you income every turn. Yeah. You know, you can talk Agricola is an engine building because you can, you know, produce fields that give you food, which helps you feed your workers. Yes. And you can get wood, which helps you get more workers. There, like engine building is like kind of like that river that runs through most modern games at this point. For sure. Kind of what I was wondering is what is like the most unique way you've seen engine building implemented into a game. Funny enough, I'm coming up with two games. When I think of a unique application of engine building, I think of Power Grid and Brass Birmingham. Okay. And I think of that because they both have this element where you are both trying to like produce and consume a resource yeah yeah you it's know, a market it, yeah that exactly they, yeah that's what i'm looking for it has like the market element but the market is free and there's several resources in the market that can be like that can be consumed by several different players so there's sort of this like fluid because a lot of times in an engine builder you build an engine and then you see if it can run and beat everybody right yeah and both yeah, of yeah. those games force you to switch sometimes yep. Yep. because they force you into these situations where it's like okay Every, like several other people are doing this and it has consumed the resource. So like now what am I going to do? You know, but everybody else has the same decision. No, no one like got it way ahead because that happened, but everybody else is f- like forced into the same um, situation and they all have to flex and try and figure it out in the same way. And I don't, I maybe there, there are a lot of market games out there that I haven't played. Um, but I really like that sort of like that middle section of that Venn diagram, right? Where like an economic game and an engine builder kind of overlap. Yeah. With the like the production and the consumption of resources. And every game seems to be different. Yeah. Because the brass is a little bit less random than power grid because power right. grid, you kind of shuffle the power plants and they come yeah. out in a different. Yeah. And so like if you have a bunch of trash power plants that come out first, trash is probably going to be a more scarce resource. Therefore, it's going to cost more. Yeah. Um, whereas brass, everything is kind of, you know, it's more dictated by the cards that you're dealt. But neither game has like an asymmetric player power. No. Right? Like no, no, no. You're, you're you're not in identical starting positions, but you're in very similar starting positions. You know. Yeah. And it's just like it comes down to who can build the most efficient engine. And yeah. And I think a lot of engine builders end up in that situation because because you talked about it being exponential potentially. And so if one player is in a situation where like their exponential growth is just better than everybody else's and they're going to win and nobody finds that interesting, right? Right. And so they a lot of engine builders I think tend to have common resource, like common access to ways to grow. And then as a strategy game, you as a player are figuring out looking at the same information or maybe 80% of the same information that everybody else has and figuring out what's the best way that I can do this. So my answer is evolution um nice yep. yeah so evolution is i love game. evolution yeah it's, it's a great game like, yeah it's not a critically acclaimed game but it's so fun we need to play it again they just put out oceans which i'm trying to like oh yeah snipe for like really cheap on the yeah. trade list which yeah. is not working because people apparently people like it. the game yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so Free evolution you're like building up a dinosaur to eat food right and it's cool because you're dealt your the cards in your hand are trait cards and it's like mm-hmm. hey you get to take food before everyone else and then if the dinosaur to your right is bigger than you then you're protected from the predators and so it's like it has yeah. a little bit of a spatial aspect mm-hmm. and it's like and you can at any time discard a card to get a new dinosaur so you're not limited to one so you have like an access to if you want to you can build 12 dinosaurs you're going to lose the game but you're going to do it. Yeah. Uh you can do it. And it's it's all about fighting for that scarcity of the resources in the middle or how am I going to build an engine to get the food before anyone else or am I going to build an engine to take food from someone else or yeah. I can store. Yeah. And it's just am like, I going to try and build an engine that gets me free food that nobody else has yeah, access to? Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so it, it 
it's just it's really interesting. Yes. And then the climate expansion, I think, really fixed a lot of the things the base game had for sure. Where it, it adds a little bit more of not randomness but variability. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what, how much food is in the watering hole, which is the common source. But it, it's also really cool just to take a step back and say like. Oh, like I have a burrowing long neck dinosaur. And it's like, that looks yeah. hilarious. Like yeah. in, in your mind, like yeah. you're just like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. but it's hilarious. Yeah. You're just like, see this like long neck, grab something and like, yeah, burrow back down. It so. has cooperation. There's like a monkey climbing up its yeah. neck or something. Yeah. Evolution has this, the same thing I was complimenting Race for the Galaxy on, that it has this shared resource of your only resource in your hand is your cards. And your cards are evolutionary traits that you can apply to your dinosaurs, which also, side note, great theme. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you Absolutely. love making dinosaurs. That's so fun. But you also use your your cards to increase a dinosaur's body size or a dinosaur's population, right? Or actually like give them the traits or stuff. And then there are also cards that have you discard cards to like get an effect and stuff like that. Um, so there's a, but it's your only resource in the game is just your cards, and there's a ton of overlap from that. Then it also has it also shares the uh, race for the galaxy thing where there's a common pool of victory points. Yeah. That everyone is kind of competing for, which again thematically. It makes so much sense that you're like, oh, dinosaurs, yep. you would be competing for food. That's like the natural order that makes a bunch it's of sense. Evolution. Evolution, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So they, they they really nail it on that. And there's like, we would recognize there's faults in that game. It's not like yeah. the world's best game or something like that, um, but it's a ton of fun to play. And it, it makes a lot of sense for answering your question. So I wanted to talk about, we were, we were talking about earlier about the exponential growth that is in a lot of engine builders. Yeah. To use like Food Chain Magnate as an example, we've talked about that game a lot. It's a game where you are you're marketing and then selling whatever uh, food that you can produce to like a, to like a neighborhood, right? So there's a board and you can market to certain areas of them you can produce. And then you're, you're trying to sell and you're trying to undersell all of your opponents if they can um, produce the same foods that you can and, and that sort of thing. Food chain magnet has, has this thing where, you know, at the start of the game, you're only selling like maybe one or two orders. Cause that's really all you can produce and all you can, all you can market. And then at the end of the game, you might be trying to fill like 10, 15 orders, something like that. And selling all this food and making like a whole bunch of money really quickly. Right. And so a lot of board games end up in this situation where they have what we call like the runaway leader, right? Where there's, yep. there's somebody in the lead and it, and it's natural for a, a game that has this sort of exponential growth, right? If I'm getting money and money is my way to buy things that get me more money, then if I'm getting more money than everybody else and I'm then and now I'm on top of getting more money than everybody else, I'm getting money faster than everybody else and yep. I take off, right? And that's what we would call the runaway leader. Food Chain Magnet, I think, specifically has the worst example of this. Um, yeah, because that, at least that we've played. That we've played because yeah. there's a, and, and you probably know it better than I do, but there's basically a card that if you are if you're the first person to get to what, 100 money or something like that, or 100, yeah. then you get this card, which like essentially doubles the income that you get from like then on. And it just doesn't make any sense, right? Because it's like, okay, now the person who has gotten to 100 money first and is obviously in the lead is now more in the lead because their, yeah. their money gets them yeah. more money faster than everybody else. And they, yeah. they potentially can take off. Now we've played games where that person doesn't necessarily win. There's It's a complicated enough game to where that doesn't like entirely ruin it. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to bring that up as like kind of one of the, I guess, pitfalls or things that can be dangerous. It's, of a... it's definitely something that designers need to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. So are there um, are there examples that you have seen, or maybe I guess what is the best example that you have seen of a of a way that sort of prevents the runaway leader? So I think I would go back to a game I mentioned before, which was Agricola. Yeah. And where like in Agricola, you you know you start with two farmers, two actions basically. And, you know, you're getting wood 
to build extra rooms to your house to get another worker. Yeah. Or another action. Another action each round, which right. allows you to then do more, build more rooms, get more. It's it, it's a growth like that. But I think what I like about Agricola is that it kind of limits that because each worker that you have, you have to pay more food. Right? You, like, right. You can't just build all five of your workers and not increase your food production. So it kind of like limits how fast people can grow and allows people to kind of, you know, you're not going to take family growth action every single turn because then you're not going to have any food and you're going to take a lot of negative victory points because then you're going to have to beg for your food. Yeah. And so I, I like that underwater cities kind of does that as well as like the more cities you have on the board, the more you have to feed. Yeah. And so like that kind of, I really like that because it's also kind of like a resource management of like, or an action selection of, yeah, I have to, it, it's all, it doesn't necessarily require another player to moderate your growth. The game moderates its own growth. Mm. And so it's, you, yeah, like. Yeah. You, sort of you by can, increasing the cost of being big. Almost, yeah, 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 exactly. Like it, It's it, like, if you can afford to pay this, then you're going to continue to do really well. Yes. But if you can't afford to pay it, then game's over for you. Yep. And it, it's controlling the ramp, right? You right. can't ramp yeah. too quickly because then you're, you're going to lose the game. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, can, because you can't ramp too quickly, in the specific case of Agricola, right? Like there, there's one action toward for most of the game that allows you to increase your workers, which increases your actions, et cetera, et cetera. And you can't take that action every single turn, which allows other players to take that action. Which, right. but like getting there first is definitely beneficial mm. because you're able to, you know, utilize that extra action more than the other players. Yeah. So, what about you? What, yeah. Yeah, I think that's like first of all. Uh, so I actually had, in when I had asked that question in my mind, I had Agricola, um, but you, I'm really glad that you chose it because you played Agricola <laughs> a lot more than me, and you articulated it I think a lot better than I could have. So I'm really glad that you that you chose that. My backup to that question game we've already talked about Evolution. Okay, yeah. Um, I think Evolution has a really cool way of mitigating a runaway leader, and it's because it goes back to we, we mentioned that it has a common pool of victory points in the food, um, but there's this other mechanic where if your dino doesn't eat food in a, in a given round, um, the population dies off, which yep. is like natural, right? If population doesn't eat, the population dies. There is a very legitimate strategy when you are behind of scarcifying food because yep. the game allows you to control how much food is in the watering hole. And so players might have this huge engine. They have all this population. They have these enormous you know, cooperation chains set up and they're ready to just like chow down and eat all the food that's in the watering hole. And you can build dinosaurs that are built on very scarce amounts of food right they have like um they have like the the what is it like the fat one i forget what it's called like fat deposits or something um they can have long neck which allows them to eat but not out of the watering hole they can have scavenger which allows them to eat off of like carnivores and stuff um and they can like just throw negative points into the watering hole so that the watering hole zeroes out and everybody's population wipes right except for you you're the only one left and so there's a lot of there's a feeling sometimes in, in in evolution where you like have this engine set up and there's, but there's another player that has this really strong engine set up. You're like, man, I'm like behind that guy. But then you can switch how the watering hole works, how your traits work, zero that guy out so that he sort of starts over on his engine. But he doesn't start over with nothing because like the fact that he lost his dinosaurs gives him a bunch of resources to try and restart his engine. Um, so you don't get the feeling of like, if you're the guy that lost your engine, you're not like, oh, I just lost the game, right? But it gives you a feeling if you're the guy behind of like, okay, let's let's hit the restart button. I'm going to start like slightly ahead of maybe everybody else um, and then 
by the end of the game, because all your victory points are hidden, there's a bunch of games where you get to the end of Evolution, you're like, I have no idea. I have no idea, yeah. (laughs) No, Evolution is a great answer. I love that answer. And also, to tag on to that, you can also build a carnivore, Mm -hmm. which, Mm -hmm. um, if there's no carnivore in the game, carnivores, instead of eating from the collective pool of points, eat other dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Which no. is actually, honestly, kind of uncommon among engine builders. Yeah. When you think about it, there's not a lot of attack amongst other... Amongst, yes. like, me, my engine attacking your engine is kind of uncommon, um, at least, like, to be a very forward mechanic, a very strong mechanic in the game, but it is an evolution. Yes. And I think I, I've, heard a, I've heard a couple of complaints about evolution that is very cutthroat, but mm, I yeah. don't necessarily think that evolution would be as good of a game if it wasn't that cutthroat. Yeah. Because it, sure. it would have a very... Big problem with the runaway leader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You want to jump into recommendations? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do some recommendations. Okay, so I don't know if it, if you're starting at this episode, I guess we'll give an overview, but I recommend you start at an earlier episode. <laughs> <laughs> but so the way that we do recommendations is we have a low, a medium, and a high complexity recommendation. Yep. We'll talk through them and kind of give our rank, our ratings for each one of those games. So Dalton, do you want to start us out with like your low complexity recommendation? Yeah, absolutely. And this, like we said, for me, I don't know if it was this way for you. This was so hard to do because... Yeah, engine builders are typically on the heavier end of yeah. the games. Yeah. yeah, and because like you said earlier, they're typically only a sub... They're one mechanic or one subcategory of a larger game that has many mechanics involved in it so it was really hard to just pick a couple out to be especially the simple and and the medium my simple recommendation for engine builders would be century spice road Um, so century spice road is a core engine builder it's really just an engine builder and in that and it it really teaches you the core concepts of engine building which yeah i I think it's so 100 agree yeah Yeah. and so in that game you you will get a there's there's i think four resources it's like yellow pink green brown or yellow green pink ground something like that brown who who knows yeah in that order from like least valuable to most valuable um and then you sort of draft cards in the game that will convert some and those are your spices those are they actually have like real names you know if you're not like oh yeah (laughs) if you like who knew new spices um i think brown is like cinnamon or something yellow is like cardamom or uh, green is like cardamom cool yeah i know it sounds really cool (laughs) i've never like tasted any of them but i want to try the golem edition so yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, and then the cards will convert. It's sort of like uh, the theming is like you're a spice merchant, go figure, um, that is converting some of the cheaper um, spices into the more expensive spices. And so you'll have one that converts like four yellows into like a pink and a brown, let's say. Um, but then you might also get some that go the other way. That You might get a card that converts a pink into like six yellow or something like that. And that's your engine, right? It's like, I'm going to play the card that converts four yellow into a pink and a brown. And then I'm going to immediately play the card that converts one pink into six yellow, right? So now I've, at the end of my turn, or at the end of my second turn, I guess, I have six yellow and a brown where I started with just four yellow, right? So I've gone up by two yellow and a brown. Um, and then the game, on top of letting you buy those cards, lets you buy victory point cards, um, for a cost of like a certain, I guess, set or, or or something of spices, right? So it'll be like, you can buy this for like three brown, two green, and a pink or something like that. And it's like worth like a certain number of victory points. Um, so the whole game, you're trying to like convert your spices up using the cards that you have to get expensive spices to buy the things that are worth victory points. Um, and that's really all you're doing. And you're kind of drafting your card. It feels a lot like Splendor in that way. Um, but kind of like Splendor with like an extra step. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Splendor as your Oh, did you? Yeah. I had to go back and forth of like if this counted as low complexity, but I think it does. I think, I, I think it does too. It, yeah. It's very like core to engine building. For sure. But that being said, also check out Splendor. Like that, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great little engine builder. Um, yeah. I would say you would want to check out Splendor 
if it's going to be like your first board game. Yeah. If you've played board games at all, but you haven't played a ton of engine builders, then check out Century Spice. Yeah. yeah. So what's your mech rating for it? So we have a, we, we've talked about before, we have like this large spreadsheet of all of our like mech ratings and I actually haven't rated this game yet. So I'm going to have to kind of like do it off the top <laughs> of my head right okay. here. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, I think for a mechanics, I think this game is, I think this game is excellent in mechanics. So I think it falls into that like nine, I would put it at a nine in mechanics. And it's because like we said, it just has this like super clean, simple, like it just works, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so approachable. It's so easy, but it's so, there's like a high level of strategy and it's very enjoyable from like just a, a pure mechanics standpoint. I think they, they, they really nailed it. Um, from an experience standpoint, there is like some downtime and, and there's some, you know, there's some other things of like for really experienced players, it's like, is this complicated enough for me? Because it is like just this small engine building portion. Um, it doesn't have like a prelude feel of having right. like a like a Kickstarter, like some strategy um, element to it. So I think experience for me would be um, good. So I would place it at like a seven. Like it's good. It's okay. not like excellent, um, but it, it, it's good. It, it fits the bill. Um, and then components, I would put it at probably like a five. Like like you said, it's it's a it's a theme. It has spices. The cards have like art on them, which is nice. But it has like you know the wooden cubes and everything. Um, so it's not like a cheaply produced game or anything. But it just like it's what it needs to be. So it's five. I see you're you're typing away on our uh, spreadsheet. So what does that put my overall ranking at? So yeah, I I typed it in, and the overall comes out to a six point five for you. Yeah, that sounds about right. So so. My low complexity kind of fell into that range of the pure engine builder, and it's one that we've kind of talked about a little bit already on this podcast. It's Race for the Galaxy. It's great top 50 game on Board Game Geek. I mean, I don't know what else I can say that we haven't already said, so I'll just jump into my mech ratings at this point. For mechanics, I have a 7, which I think may go up. Like, the more I mm. play it, the more I like kind of figure out the different strategies that you know, you can run like I, yeah. I, I've been trying out some different strategies, which when you first sit down and play that game, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of strategies that you can really try. Yeah. But so it's kind of fun to like start trying some of those. Yeah. Experience. I have a seven. Just um, to comment on that. Oh, yeah. Because I, I think from my perspective, just playing the game one time now, the game ended a lot sooner than I thought it was going. Yeah, to. it's a quick game. It's a quick game. And and I say that because engine builders super important to know when the game is going to end. Yeah. Right. Because you need to know, like, am I still ramping or am I getting victory points right now? That's yep. a that's a big yep. decision to make, and I made that too late in that game, um, and it was because because that game is short. There are more strategies available than are immediately obvious because it, yes, I didn't realize like, oh, I'm not gonna have access to every like nook and cranny of this game. There's not enough time. You yep. know? Yep. So I was playing as if I did have access to every nook and cranny of the game. I was like, oh, I'll get some cards that do this, some cards that do this, some cards that do this. And the game was over. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, none of them got to do anything. Yeah. You know, like they weren't. I, I should have been doing kind of what you did of like, okay, what, what could I focus on? Like, what, what do yeah. I have cards in that are that are powerful? And, and where could I really just pound through some victory points right now? That's where the intricacy and the strategy kind of evolved, I think. And I only realized it in like the last turn or two of the game. Yeah, and it, it definitely re rewards multiple plays. When I typically say that, it's like you get better at the game, which I think you do in Race for the Galaxy. For sure. But I think that it, this game rewards multiple plays because you get to see the entirety of the game through multiple plays. Like you're yeah, not going to get yeah. to see everything that you can do in Race for the Galaxy after one play. Right. It's just not possible. It's too quick of a game. Mm -hmm. So experience I, have at a, at, I had at a 7. Um, yep. I think I, I typically lean towards the heavier games just – I think anything in the low complexity typically is going to fall lower for me on experience. Just like that's just my personal rating. Right. But seven is a, is a 
it's like I will play this game. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a great experience rating. Yeah, and then uh, components I had a five. It's a deck of cards. Space theme drags it up. Space theme drags it up. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that brings the overall to a six point eight. And then, I feel like our like across the so this is now our third uh, episode that is like an exploration of a specific mechanic. Yeah, right? um, and I think all of our low complexity recommendation games across i'll have to check but i think they all fall from like six to seven <laughs> yeah. the overall ranking yeah it, very common I, yeah, for us yeah and then i had the the kind of the honorable mentions of splendor and seven wonders um whoa okay hold up i'm gonna have to have a semantics argument with right with you right now. i don't think seven wonders is an engine builder no no i don't like what what i, I you I buy think... resources in age one that allows you to play the cards in age two and age three and then you buy the mm. cards in age two and they upgrade into age three cards I absolutely think it, Seven Wonders. It, you do. It's combined with a drafting element, but it's no different than Splendor. I think sense. people like typically think that a tableau builder is an engine builder. Like I think that's a natural like progression or thought. And I guess I just don't. Hmm. And, and, and maybe it is. I think I think the thing that's missing for me is the like input here. The input of this card is an output of another card, and then like the um, which like it is for the resources, but like you don't know what you're going to get. Right, so That's you don't, fair. you're not like planning for it, it's, and then it's it doesn't a have like probability game. Yeah, and then I, yeah, exactly. It's more like a probability game, and then I don't see like the cyclical nature that I typically see in engine builders, right? Yeah. Where it's like I play this card, then this card, then I play card A, then B, then C, then I play card A again. Okay, right? and that's what makes it feel like an engine builder to Got me. It. Okay, um, which I guess maybe isn't. Fa- I mean, terraforming Mars is not that way. So like maybe there, maybe that's not a fair like comparison. But I don't know. I just had to ask about it. it <laughs> okay, it could yeah, be, and fine. it's a semantics argument. Yeah. It's not like it's super important, but I just I hadn't considered seven. It wasn't on my list. Oh yeah, yeah. I hadn't considered it, so it was just interesting to me that you brought it up. Okay. So for the medium recommendation, I'm going to dive into the game that won every single award that there was to win <laughs> last year. But it's Wingspan. Uh, How dare you, Wingspan? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, literally like every award. So Wing- Wingspan is is a game where you're a bird watcher, and it has a really unique... That was one of my other answers to the unique implementation of an engine builder. Okay. Because you get to play a bird in one of your three regions whenever you take that action, one of the three actions, you get to activate every bird in that row. And yeah. so as the so game sort progresses... sort of powering up that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as the game progresses, you get to build how you want your actions to take. And it's a beautiful game. I mean, like, absolutely gorgeous. Every single card is unique. Yep. It's, uh, like, watercolor. I mean, and so it, pretty. I think it. I think it's, like, in our top three components scores. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it just works. And then the, the one complaint that I've heard from people is that there's not a lot of player interaction, which is honestly pretty typical for an engine builder. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the, the expansion really fixes that. The European expansion really adds a lot of birds that, like, interact with some people and provide some unique mechanics. So, like... Wingspan, I highly recommend. It's like that kind of step up from Catan. Yeah. Uh, so it, you know, it's that like it's that medium weight that kind of like, you know, any new player I can sit down and play it with them and they enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's made a great just with like your group of friends, our group of friends. It's made a great like second game. Yeah. 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 Um. So mechanics at a seven point five. Yep. Um. Pretty pretty common experience. I had an eight. I think I like this game more than you do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's also like it's kind of in the same vein as Race for the Galaxy, where the strategies start to come out after multiple plays. Mm, mm-hmm. And then components, I had a uh, eight point five. Yep. Um, again, I I think I I like 
I love the birds. I love the art. I love everything. But it's, again, a deck of cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. overall, it comes out to a 7.9 for me. Yeah. So what about you? What's your medium recommendation? My medium, medium recommendation, you know, fitting with the uh, the theme of drinking alcohol on the podcast. Amen. I landed on Viticulture. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And, and Viticulture, it, it's getting a ton of uh, visibility right now, right? Everybody's like super in. I feel like every time I go to a board game night, like someone's playing Viticulture. It's a fun game. It's a fun game. It's You have to play with the Tuscany expansion though. Yeah, and that's all I've ever played with. I actually don't know how yeah. to play Viticulture regular. <laughs> <laughs> I just know how to play the, the yeah. Tuscany expansion. So you're right. I am, I guess, I should say caveat. My medium recommendation would be Viticulture, the Tuscany expansion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it's a it's a it's a worker placement game because we haven't actually talked a ton about viticulture to be honest. We really haven't on the podcast, and it's it's on our five it's on my five by five. So I think that's I've the only time we talked it, about it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a worker placement. Um, you're making wine, and um, so you have this element where you're like I think one reason it works as a engine builder is that it is it is very delayed. Even though you at the end you do feel like you're doing more than you were at the beginning, it's a very delayed game, which thematically makes a ton of sense because it takes time to age wine. It takes time to grow grapes, right? And you yep. feel the effect of that in the game. And so it it meets its theme. I think I think it nails it. I don't think anyone's ever going to be able to do a winemaking game. Yeah. I mean, Vital Lacerda has Vinyos, um, mm. which is a fairly highly ranked game that's a winemaking game. But that was I mean, Nelson's really nice way of saying you're wrong, Dalton. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> but, <laughs> kindly but done. But to be fair, uh, the, the Stonemeyer version, the Viticulture game, is like top 20. Yeah. I think it's like 22 or something like that. Where yeah. Vinyos, the deluxe edition, is top 200. Right. So I, I do think that Viticulture is the best one. Absolutely. And like, I, I don't know. We, we've talked about like, man, where's our uh, where's our whiskey making board game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're, if you're going to make that, I, I, I will back it. I yeah, will absolutely. Back yeah. Um, but this matches it for for winemaking. And so I think it's a it, it's similar to your to your recommendation with Wingspan where it, it's just it's I don't think it's a good first game. It's, no. it's just a little too complex to be your first game. But it's a really great like second, third, fourth game. Um, it, it really it, it's starting to hit that point in complexity where you're not going to explore every portion of the game, right? Maybe you're not going to expand your uh, what's it called, like your cellar or whatever your um, your garage where you have all your wine barrels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's there's going to be parts of the game where you just like don't have to explore, and, but you do get that engine building effect of like I am doing more at the end of the game than I was doing at the beginning of the game. You get to feel that acceleration. Yeah. So did I tell you that? So we've just played this with my sister-in-law, who is, you know, pretty new to board games. So yeah. she she loves Wingspan. She loves um, Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders. She's she really good at Seven Wonders. Wonders. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> um, but we played um, Viticulture with her. Oh yeah. And she she really enjoyed it. So awesome. so that that was good. I did win, and I did never. I never planted a grape. I I still don't know how that works. <laughs> I, I did a lot of trading, and my. My my initial like my you start out with a mama and papa and like yep. I started out with the 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 cellar or or not the cellar the 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 tasting room so every time oh, I gave a tour I got a victory point that makes sense and I just like quickly like bought I like traded inefficiently traded for a grape which I converted into a wine and then I just kept that wine in there it was a lot of fun because yeah. it's like because you start to realize it's like there's other ways to play this game. Yeah, and that's I think where I would I would really love to explore the strategy of it. And actually, as I look at my mech rating, I know that it has been impacted by the few number of plays that I have, and and the fact that I haven't been able to explore those different avenues of 
um, of strategy and, and ways of scoring victory points in the game. And I think that's true for almost any engine builder where your your rating of the game probably increases over the multiple yeah. times you've played it because you start to understand, oh, that's how you do it. Yeah, that's how you yeah. do it. So speaking of, what is your mech rating? Yeah, so my uh, mech rating for Viticulture. Mechanics, I had a 6.5. Again, that's the one where I think that would probably go up. I think that's because I felt like it was it didn't have enough avenues to score victory points. And I think as I explored it over time, that would probably go up. Um, seven in experience, um, probably the same where I was just, I was so lost in the first time I played it where I, I didn't enjoy it, but it was still enough for me to give it a really good rating of seven. Yeah. You know? and yeah, that, yeah. Would, that would go up over time. Um, components of a six. And I think that one's probably fair. You know, I, I think it's probably average in its components, except for that the theme is like fun because you're making wine. Yeah. Um, but there's not like, like really intricate board pieces or art or anything like that. It's just kind of, it, it's good. It, it matches, yeah. it meets what it needs to. So yeah. I overall kinda, rating then would be a 6.7. 6.7. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with someone on Instagram the other day where like they were asking about viticulture and like, you know, it's like, Hey, it's not really a theme that like stands out to me. Like what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I was like, I would play this game if you remove the theme. Like it, mm-hmm. it is, it it's a yep. theme that like just works. Yeah, and it's like, but the mechanics and the like the the experience is kind of what keeps me coming back to it. Like, I, I don't yeah. like it could be bourbon, it could be. Do you just have smartphones? To have a, it could be smartphone. It would just have to be some good that like ages. That's like yeah. the only thing that like yeah. is a requirement. Yeah, really. Yeah, great, great example. So yeah. snake draft, what's your high? My high complexity rating, uh, we've talked a lot about Scythe tonight, but that, that would be my high complexity rating yeah. as, a, as an engine builder. And Scythe is an example where it's not the core, right? There's, no. there's a, a lot. I mean, there's area control. There's a lot of... We like to make a fun argument that Scythe is a worker placement game. Yeah. It's not technically, but it's fun to like talk about it as if it is. Yeah. And not the sense that you're moving your pawn to different workers. The sense that like where your workers are on the board are the workers yeah. that you've placed. Exactly. That's your <laughs> that's your placement. That's your like production. And the only like area can like it's not even you're not scoring points. Well, you are scoring points off of area. Um, but the only reason that combat matters is because it determines who gets to produce in certain places. Yeah. Clearly. But Scythe has the the part of it that feels like an engine builder to me is like, like you said, Scythe is going to last, I don't know, 20 to 30 turns. I, I've never counted it, so I don't actually know. But in Scythe, you have this really interesting mechanic where you choose one of four actions. You do the top ability, or you have the option to do the top ability of that action for free. And it's going to be, it's like produce, right? Or something that's going to give you like free resources. That top action is then paired with a bottom action that costs resources. And that pairing is different for all the players. That's one of the things that makes the game interesting every time. The game is typically won by the player that takes the most actions. Typically. Yeah. Typically. And the reason that's important is because the game then becomes about how do I get the resources now so that I can spend turns doubling my actions, right? Taking an action that allows me to take both the top and bottom, the free one and the one that costs resources, Um, over the course of the game so that by the end of the game, I will have taken a total of like 50 actions where everybody else only took like 45. And that's like what's going to win me the game. So the portion that feels like an engine builder is that repetition of like, I'm going to produce and then I'm going to take my movement action and then I'm going to take my, um, or what are the other, my trade action. Yeah. Right. Because those are paired with my uh, build action and my uh, recruit action and those are really important to me right so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do like those three actions cyclically because i need to like max out points on those things and that and i'm that's always going to work based on the engine that i built where my which is determined by like where my workers are and that's where your like area control comes in of like i have to like spread my workers out in the right way i have to like upgrade my mechs so that i can get to the right areas and stuff like that and have access to the right actions to it just becomes this whole network that you have to kind of construct in your mind but the 
kind of underlying theme of it is engine building. It's just kind of a cool application, I think, of an engine builder. Great game. I mean, yeah, 100%. It's top and, 10 for a reason, right? Yeah, and I think the the engine building is most uh, clearly amplified in the, the upgrade action, where, like, yeah. the upgrade is your, you are increasing the efficiency of one of your top row actions and decreasing the cost of one of your bottom row actions. Yeah. And it just, like, I love upgrading. I know you don't necessarily like upgrading all that much. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to do it twice or two or I think you have to do it two or three times to win the game. I think if you do it six, you will lose. Interesting. Yeah. We're going to have a really great scythe analysis. Yeah. I, I, I always place my upgrade star and I don't always <laughs> lose. <so. laughs> I, I am interested to talk about that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about scythe a lot. So what, what's your mech rating? People have my mech rating because it's on my top five. Yeah. So, so mine, is, <laughs> mine is the one that's the mystery, right? Yeah. Mech rating for Scythe, I have an eight in mechanics. Um, again, I, I think it there are, there are parts of the game that I think are probably like maybe could be done better, but it's just it's really excellently uh, executed overall. Um, experience seven point five. I actually did that a long time ago. That one I might bump up overall um, because I really like playing Scythe now. Components nine point five. Like I talked about in, in Andre's question, I, I think the components of Scythe are absolutely gorgeous. Oh just yeah. Across like there's not a point where I, I think the rule book is even good. You know, the I think counter cards are amazing. The counter cards are amazing. <laughs> they give you like gray, uh, like the mechs that could be like painted. Right. They make really great. I oh man, I could go on and on about the components of Scythe. Um, so overall, that gives me an eight point five. And actually, that's one of the only games where the components like drags it up. Yeah. <laughs> significantly. Yeah. So what about you? So this is this may be the hardest question that I've ever had to answer in my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So I've lived a pretty nice life. <laughs> um, but basically, this is where I live. These are the games that I love are the high complexity engine building games. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, like Gaia Project. Great example. Uh, yep. Terraforming Mars, Food Chain Magnate, Spirit Island. Like all of these games that I love are typically engine builders. Like I think the only one in my top five that's not an engine builder is... Uh, Game of Thrones, right? Which is like a mm. war game, and I just like the experience of that. Yeah. But I, ex- engine building is what I like, and so I we've talked about a lot, and so I tried to pick one that we haven't talked about a lot, and that's Underwater Cities. Mm. And so Underwater Cities is a game that I I have less than ten plays. I probably I'm probably at like seven or eight. Yeah. And I have not played the expansion, but you know I I do have the expansion. I need to get that to the table. But Underwater Cities is I I think of it very similar to Agricola, where it's a um it's a worker placement combined with a hand management action selection combined with an engine builder yeah and there's a lot going on in underwater cities there is a lot going on and so underwater cities you're basically taking um an action and you can take a green a yellow or a red action and like the green actions are the worst actions but then you get to play a card from your hand. And if the color of the card matches the color of the action that you just took, you also get to take the card benefit. And so the green cards are the best cards, but the worst actions. So there's a lot of balance there, which is really interesting. Yeah. And uh, the, the I think that in- is such a novel concept. Yeah, it's really cool. Because those are really, that's really the two parts of your turn. It's what you're doing on the card and what you're doing on the action. So that yep. pairing becomes so critical and so yep. fun to explore. And if like you're, Sometimes, you know, you'll, you only have three cards in your hand. And so if you're not drawing extra cards through actions that you're taking, you could be completely shut out of yellow actions. Right. And you're not shut out, but you like, you can still take them. You just don't get the card benefit. And I, 
I just really like that. And the engine building aspect comes in because you're building underwater cities. And each city can produce money, steel, technology, right. victory points, plants. Um, and all of that is very like intentional on where you put that on your board mm. and what you pair with what to produce. Mm-hmm. So like if you have two steel factories next to each other they produce more than just one steel factory right on one city and one steel factory on the other so it's a very like spatial game as well and you kind of have to make decisions on where you want to go what bonuses you have it's very modular right uh i've just really really enjoyed playing through that game yeah and i think the uh the thing that i when you so first of all when you described that game to me i was like man this sounds like terraforming mars but underwater (laughs) right pretty much yeah (laughs) in, in some ways like thematically and even like pseudo gameplay wise i think it might be like if you own one you maybe don't need to own the other right like they're, they're, they kind of feel like a similar spot um but the thing that that underwater cities did so well that i loved um is they have and i don't, I don't know what you call them because i've only played it once but those car they're basically like they there's a set of cards in the middle of the board that that have a ton of victory points associated with them if you if you play them and they're, they're based on like uh you'll get like points based on how many of like this type of building you have built or this many like this type of card that you have played or whatever and so it has that feeling that we were describing out of like a race for the galaxy or evolution where like the victory points are kind of in the center and uh and public and shared and, and it does have like individual victory points where like your cards are getting your victory points that's not the only like uh access to them um but the really powerful heavy hitting stuff is shared and so you have to kind of build an engine to support that but then be able to buy it before your opponent does or something yep. like that right yeah i really liked that aspect of the game yeah i when i think of terraforming mars and underwater cities i think of them as like almost opposites where like you're building on your personal board in underwater cities and you're mm. building on a collective board in terraforming mars yeah very true and you're taking actions from your personal hand in terraforming mars and you're taking actions on the collective board in underwater cities right which yeah, is it has that worker placement yeah aspect it, that terraforming I, mars kind of misses oh they just both work and i i'm going to dispute i think there definitely is room in both for both of them in the collection because <laughs> i have both of them <laughs> <laughs> but but no i i kind of see what you're saying like they, they feel very similar um, yeah it, it, it's mostly like if you're on a game night and you're like looking for a type of game i think they could both fill that yeah gap maybe yeah yeah but for people like us who love to explore heavy complexity like uh engine building economic you know worker placement type games there's definitely a reason you own both of them yeah yeah, yeah. i do think underwater cities is a little bit lighter than terraforming mars yeah um, and right wrong or indifferent it, it is and I, I I love Terraforming Mars and I will defend it with my life. <laughs> but but that I'm being, so proud of you for not listing it. By the way. Oh yeah, it it was hard. It, I know it, it, was. it was hard. I I did slip it in as like the you know <laughs> I have to mention Terraforming Mars. Um, <laughs> and I also dropped in Spirit Island, but and Gaia Project. So I did mention like most of my top five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for the Mac rating, I had mechanics at an eight, just because yep. I think it's so interesting the way that you know your worker placement and your cards in your hand dictate. What what you are what what are what is the optimal move to take and there's yeah. some interesting choices there. more people need to pick that up that is yeah. so cool it, it really is experience that in 8.5 i love ooh, i don't know if i want to say this i i, I really <laughs> like um underwater cities more than terraforming mars in the sense of that i am building my own personal board mm. and there's not really there's nothing that other players can do to that and so i like that like the solo aspect sure. of building the solitary aspect yeah like building the- what i can do and then like competing for the actions that i can take on my own board 
with other people. Yeah. But Terraform Mars is kind of the opposite. I love both of them. Um, but I just love that. I just like, here's my world. This is what I'm doing. Yep. Um, components at a 7.5. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a good game and it brings the overall to an 8.2. So, yeah. oh yeah, that, that, that may go on to my next five by five. Like, I, I think that's a great, cause like five by fives are for games that you want to play multiple times because you want to get better at them. Right. Like you want to, you wouldn't put code names on a five by five. Cause like, yeah, it, it's going to, it's going to get as many plays as it gets and it's only good in a party and you're not like, you want to put it on there if you're going to, Play it multiple times specifically to get better at it. Think, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a good application for that. So let's wrap this guy up. Let's do um, it. <laughs> yeah. Put a bow on it. So this was a great discussion. I really enjoyed working through this. This was, you know, the one that I said that I really wanted to talk about. Because yeah. This is where I live. Yeah. This, these are my favorite games. So for sure. It, it's really interesting to hear all of that. And, and I'm really excited to hear what you all think. Right. Like what is your favorite engine builder? Do you are there any mechanics, any unique mechanics in engine building that we didn't we don't know of or we didn't discuss that you wanted to let us know? Just let us know. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're gonna be posting the icebreakers on social media. So reach out yep. to us, let us know about it's that. Gonna, it's a good one. It's gonna be hard to uh sum up that icebreaker in like a tiny little Instagram story for you. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a little puzzle that I have to work out. Yeah. <laughs> We'd so, love to hear the responses to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let us know. You can find us anywhere on social media. We're fantasy and some flights. And again, uh, thank you to John for uh, working on our website and building those score calculators for us. Currently, we have the Seven Wonders Dual score calculator out there. So go out and start using that. We want to start aggregating that data so that we can provide some statistical analysis for y'all. Yep. Um, well, so, that'll be fun. You'll you'll love it. Let yeah. us know if it's an engine builder or not. The jury's still out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Seven Wonders Duel is significantly less of an engine builder than Seven Wonders. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That way we would both agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's fantasyandsomeflights.com. Yep. Uh, You'll find the show notes there from uh, from this episode. It'll have a couple extra resources if you're wanting to really data dive into like what an engine builder is, especially in the exponential growth rate and what that can what that can look like in different games. Um, and it'll obviously have like the references of what we were drinking, what the games we've talked about today. If you're wanting, if you heard something today that you liked and you want to go look it up, that's where you can find it. Awesome talking with you. I'm excited to go downstairs and start playing some games now. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome so cheers, buddy. Cheers.